Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs 19, verse 21. It's not my sermon, but you can woo because it's the word. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, New International says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Um, King James, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. So God has a plan for your life. God has a statement over you. There are many other human indulgences. There are many devices in man's heart. But it's the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. In the end, it's what God has said that will come to pass. Many are the plans of a person's heart, good or bad, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God has a calling on your life. God has a plan for your life. And no matter what gets thrown at you, no matter what storms, in the end, God's plan for his life has prevailed. Doesn't matter who said what, doesn't matter what was said or done, the, the plan of God for his life to be a dad has prevailed. Amen? And there was a lot of attack on that for him to have a child and other things in your life, in your ministry, in your calling, lots of devices, lots of plans, your own misled sometimes, misguided sometimes. But God comes around every time and says, I will prevail. God's plans prevail. So just take that one this morning and, um, yeah, let's just pick up your Bible for a moment or your phone or whatever you use. Put it against your heart this morning. And I, I really want us to, to um be very attentive this morning to what God wants to say and what God wants to do this morning. Just for a moment, shut everything out and just become aware of him. Father, this morning we pray for your presence in this room, in our lives, in our thoughts, that you will have preeminence above every other thing right now. Not because we deserve it, but because of your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you show up. And we pray this morning that you will deal and speak and impress upon our spirits that which is your will for this moment, individually and corporately for your church and for us as people. 
Father, help us not to make it about anything else but you. Let's make it about Jesus this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you're, let's just use a GPS for a moment to try and get something. There's a little thing on your GPS that when you're traveling, if your GPS gets out of like, out of sync, it says recenter, am I right? And then you, you push the button and the whole map realigns and you start again. And then you travel. In your spiritual journey, there is a place of recentering. If I have to take my own life, if, okay, so let's, let's do it this way. In the book of Revelation, talking to one of the churches, he says, this I have against you, that you have left your first love. Everybody say first love. Say in the beginning, at the start, first love. If I take my own life and I want to say, Jesus, help me recenter. I, I, I need a restart. I need this morning a refocusing in my life. Where would I go to actually get the best, clearest picture of what it's been all about these last 40 years? Where do I go in my walk with Jesus? I go back to the beginning. Because that's where he found me. I didn't find him. He found me. <laughs> We, we don't find God. It's not He finds us because He was there all the time. We come to a realization that He's been there all the time, but He's never stopped chasing. So if I go back to my beginning, then I go back to a tent meeting in Benoni years back. And if I go back there and I share with you that night, where it all began for me. You, you might have a different beginning. I can't, I can't pretend to know this morning your beginning, but I'm going to share mine. A hellfire and brimstone pastor standing preaching to me, to, to everyone but it was as if he was preaching to me. And he did a very good job using the law to bring me to the end of myself. Because that's what the law does. The law takes away every argument when Jesus preaches on the mount of um, uh, uh, um, the Sermon on the Mount that's exactly what he's doing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were living by self-righteousness. 
They thought that by their performance, they were making it. And he takes them and he says to them, if you tell your brother he's an idiot, you've already committed murder. If you, if you look at a woman, you've already committed. He raises the bar of their performance that they thought they could keep the law. He takes it that much higher and they say, who then can be saved? How is this possible? And that's exactly what this preacher did. He took it to the place where I could literally see the flames, feel the heat, smell the sulfur, and I felt that my coattails were on fire. And I, that's a joke. Um, but but, but the, the truth of the matter is that's what the law does. It brings you to a place where you know that you are guilty without a doubt and that you do not deserve anything but hell. And then he turned the corner. And although he was a, an old-time Pentecostal preacher, most of their messages, even though they were preaching that very hard-type message, ended in one place. He took me to the foot of the cross and showed me that there's a God that loved me that much that though I deserve the death sentence, the wages of sin is death. He took me to the cross and said, there's a God that loves you so much that he was prepared to send his only son to be your substitute offering, to be the one who dies in your place, who takes the judgment of everything that you deserved upon himself and sets you free and gives you the grace of becoming his child. And so if you want to recenter this morning, that is the place of recentering. That is the place of first love because that's where you discover how much he loves you and still loves you and will never stop loving you in that sense. And in that moment, it's when your eyes, the scales fall off your eyes and you literally see the love of God. And then we love him because he first loved us. That is first love. So there's a woman, I, I don't actually quite know, I, I don't move in all the circles and know all the things Sean might be able to help me. There's a woman, I don't know which of the main churches she was a worshiper at or is still at, Stephanie Gretzinger. She was with Bethel. And she's become a main speaker and the main part of her thrust, although she's one of the most well-known, effectual, powerful worshipers in the world today, she's come to the place to make a statement that sounds like this. When we measure our ministries 
we measure them by the response we get in the room. How many people are sitting in the stadium, the applause that we're getting, the amount of people that step out to the altar call, the, uh, the, the size of the bank account, the, the wonders of the building. We make it about all kinds of other things when none of that actually counts except who it's about. There's a scary scripture in Matthew 7, I think it is, and in Luke 30, it says, you say this, you say, he says, you, you, you say, Lord, Lord. He says, but Lord, in your name, listen to the, the measuring fact, in your name we drove out demons. In your name we healed the sick and cleansed lepers. In your name. And he says to them, but you've called me Lord, Lord, but go away because I never, ever knew you. The word there, knowing, is intimate relationship like a man with a woman. I never had intercourse. I never had close relationship with you. Go away. So we've made it about performance. If he shows up in this room this morning, it's not because Dave's a good preacher. It's not anything about my message or my ability or my fasting or anything. If he shows up in this, it's not because of me, it's in spite of me. It's because of his goodness that he shows up. If I'm saved this morning, it's not because I followed the prescription and I deserve it in any way. It's because he's good. I, 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 I said the sinner's prayer. I did believe I had faith in God. Because that's not the qualifying factor. Not because I did any of those things. Even the prescription to be saved, have faith, believe, receive. It's all just because of his goodness. Amen. So we go back to the sermon of last week. It says, comes to the woman at the well. And he speaks to her, and he tells her that she's had five husbands, and the one she's staying with now is not her husband, six. But the seventh man is standing in her presence, the perfect husband. He tells her only that fact. And as Sean said, she goes away saying, he told me everything I ever did. No, he didn't. He only told her that. But when she looked in his eyes, she realized that he'd known, he knows 
everything there is to know about her life, yet there was no judgment in him. He loved her. She left her, she, she left her, her income. Her water pot is how she earned money. She carried water for people. It was her necessity. It was her supply. She left her water pot and went to the village, went to the very men that caused her rejection and said to them, come and meet the man who told me everything. Maybe he's the Messiah. He'd actually told her. You remember the message from last week? She went away preaching that message because she knew, he knew everything about her, yet there was no judgment. And so out of that came the question, where should we worship? I believe her question was a lot deeper. It was, where should we, what should we, who should we? She'd been desiring for so long to ask the question, but didn't know who she could trust with the question. Here arrives someone who knows everything, and she seems to have an inkling, this must be the Messiah, asks him that question because for the first time she's met somebody that there's no condemnation, there's no judgment, and she can ask him that question. And he answers her. Woman, the time is coming and now is. Now. God in the cause now. When you will neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, but you will worship God in spirit and in truth. For God is a spirit. And those that worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, our worship cannot be mentally ascended this morning about how and where and what. It's about a spiritual encounter, heart to heart, that says, this is what it's all about. Amen? Amen. So I meet him at the foot of the cross. And my entire life changes in one moment. And I experience what we know today as being born again or born from above or being a new creation. South Africa is in a really bad state and there's a lot of prayer going out right now because of certain things that are sung and certain things that are done but what we need in short is revival a God infested God abundant revival and it's going to take people that are really in love with him not with the things with him to walk a road in first love that carries the presence every single moment of every single day and you cannot do that unless you're totally in love we've had a we've had a living example in our house 
since Sean met Esther. But it took me back to when I first met Albie. I, I still love her that much, but, but you know that, that first love thing? I think the example that we can use in our natural man is like, can't stop thinking about her all day, all night. And every spare moment, we're on the phone. Can you remember that? For those of you who have been there, can you remember that? Like you can think about nothing else. You lose your appetite. And we had ticket boxes. That's right. So you were running from ticket box to ticket box or using the company's phone. I wrote a letter at the border every single day and posted one every single day. And then I'd get at post, they would make you do push-ups for the amount of letters you'd received. And I would say, God, I love her so much, but man, it's painful. Because we had to do 10 push-ups for every letter. And there were like 10 letters, depending on how. So, you know, <laughs> I got fit on her letters. <laughs> and they smelled so good. Mm. She would put her perfume on the letters. I'd sleep with her letters under my pillow. <laughs> Natural reference to how it must be with us, with him, when we go and recenter and say, Lord, it's all about you. It's not, a, as a preacher this morning, it's not about the amount of people. We make it about things. Things that are important, we get lost in the things, we get lost in the procedure, we make it about how many people are sitting in the building, what songs we should sing, how the car park should look, and we get into the work of God, but the God of the work loses preeminence, and it's not about anything we do. Yo, she said some stuff, I wish I could remember all this stuff, but she says, there's a difference between anointing and adrenaline. She says hard stuff. Because we've made it about the... I can't beatbox, but you know what I mean. We've made it about the rhythm. We've made it about the song. We've made it about the, the, the adrenaline. We've made it about running up and down on the stage saying hallelujah. We've made it about everything else. But when it's not about those things, it's actually about him being in the room and showing up in spite of us and being his goodness. That is worship, carrying him in my heart all day long because where I go, he goes. And when he goes... Whew, the land will go a lot better when he goes where I go, where you go, where we go. One put a thousand to fly, two, ten thousand. We need that kind of presence in our lives by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the first love in our lives that people just look at us, that people just see, and they don't see us. It's not about us. They see him. They experience him. And when he shows up, it's all about his presence. Where he shows up, there is no argument. Where he shows up, there is no resistance. Where he shows up, there is 
His miracles, where He's, it's just about Him. But when I bring Him along, everything else will fall into place. I'll never forget, there was a Portuguese lady in my church that came out of Angola in the midst of the civil war there. And this woman get up to testify. She was a big lady. One slap from her and you'd be dead, man. She had arms on her that made Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a baby. Lovely woman, but she was as big as she was, was as big as her love. I remember baptizing her and her nearly drowning me. We had a big baptismal tool in Vereniging, and I did all, as the youth pastor, I did all the baptism. And somehow she was a bit scared of water. She never told me. And I put her down the first time. We did three times under the water. Put her down the first time, and she got a bit of a fright. And when it came to the second time, she was already sort of fighting me. By the third time, she unfortunately found the wall of the baptismal pool. Because as long as she didn't have anything to press on, I was okay. But when she found the wall with her foot and she kicked away there, she submerged us both. <laughs> can tell you so many stories at the baptism. But if that woman got up to testify, she'd be in tears. And she'd have you crying with her. She said she got up one morning and they were carrying people's heads around on plates, on, what is it, skin board? On trays. And they're walking around with bloody machetes and heads on trays. And she knew she had to get out of Angola. And they started the journey, which was like four, five hundred k's by foot. Then by car, then by foot, then... She said, I could actually see the angels of the Lord traveling with us. And when the angels of God said, pull over and park in the bush, they would follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and the angels, and they would pull over and stand in the bush, and the tanks would drive past. And they would stay until the God said, now you can go again. Like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, following the cloud and following the pillar of fire. They followed the direction for days on end, walking and driving and finding whatever way they could by the direction and the presence of God until they left Angola and arrived in Namibia. And that woman would stand up and talk about those things. I realized that in the midst of everything we face, we need Jesus. Amen. We need his presence. We need his guidance. We need him in the midst of our lives because without him, I can do nothing. Do you know the song? Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Jesus, my Jesus, do you know him today? Please don't turn him away. Guys, I hope I'm making some kind of sense this morning, but... 
there's an urgency to be and to make it about him and, and not about ourselves. There's another song that says, Jesus be the center. Jesus, say it, say Jesus. Be the center of my whole life. If you look at Jesus' example, you will see that Jesus is in worship of the Father all the time. If you read the New Testament, you'll see Jesus says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I'm constantly pointed towards the Father. And when it comes to his crucifixion, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Constantly, constantly, constantly in it. Constantly in it. Jesus put emphasis on this time and again. Looking at the Father. No amount of electoralism is going to explain him and how he operates. We've become so opinionated, we've become so aware of what men are saying, but it's all here. What is he saying to you this morning by his spirit? Tight, brother, you can play. Awesome. You must be born again. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. When he's speaking to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again to see and to enter the kingdom. There's a First love that takes place that causes you to see and enter. I need you to hear this this morning more than anything else. Because if there's something that's attacking Christianity right now, and there's so many opinions, it's what I call a mixture. When the woman is caught in the act of adultery, after everything that takes place, and I wish I could preach all of the stuff I studied last night about whether it was, which Mary was it, was there more than one Mary? Like this whole thing about the Marys, Mary and Martha, Mary of Bethany, which one is which one? But just take it as a woman that represents us as a church. Let's first go to her account with Jesus on that dusty road when they threw her and said this woman was caught in the very act of adultery whether she's Mary of Bethany or Mary's Martha, Lazarus' sister or another Mary the fact is that according to the law she was guilty of death Jesus says this to her. 
Listen to this. Woman, bride of Christ, listen to this. He says to this woman, woman, where are your accusers? Of course, by now they've all gone. They left from the eldest to the youngest, all guilty of some kind of sin. She lifts her head up and she says, none here, Lord. Then he says, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you know what that means? The accuser of the brethren was thrown out. There is no devil anymore in heaven walking around the throne bringing accusation to you. He has been thrown out. There is one thing that will accuse you. If you take the law as part of your ministry and you listen to it, that is the only thing left that can accuse you. Yet the Bible says in Colossians, I think it is, that he took the law and its accusation and nailed it to his cross. The law has been nailed to the cross of Christ with the Adamite man, the last the, 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 the first Adam, the, 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 the last Adam, the whole species nailed to the cross. And the accusation letter included taken out of the way. It's been dealt with. And then if you let the Spirit of God open that to you, you will know that there is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8 verse 1, to them that are in Christ. So there are two covenants. The one is based on the law. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, it is an accusing, killing letter. It accuses you and it kills you. It's a letter of death. And there's a New Testament that does not do that, has dealt with that, and no longer accuses you. You cannot put new wine in old wineskins. You cannot put a piece of a new garment on an old garment. That is mixture. You cannot follow a testament that, a, a, a covenant that says you have to be circumcised. And you have to perform and then follow another one that says you have been circumcised by not with human hands and not with the flesh. You've been circumcised in your heart. It's already been taken place. The dead flesh has been cut off and thrown away. And you're a new creature in Christ. If you are going to deal in mixture, you are going to suffer condemnation and confusion for the rest of your life. You cannot deal in mixture. You have either the one or the other. Hear me this morning. As long as you are going to allow some form of judgment and accusation to be in your life, you will have condemnation and you will battle to serve God. But the first love tells you 
Nothing will separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, 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 nothing. I have been set free. Hear me this morning. You have to be able to walk in first love, knowing that that love goes so far beyond the depths of your understanding. No human mind. That's why it's by spirit and not by flesh. No human mind can work out that God would love me that much that he would take my sins of yesterday, today, and forever and throw them in the depths of the ocean. And so we have the story, and I close with it, of the same woman caught in the act. The same woman who was a sinner coming to Simon's house and washing Jesus' feet. And because he's in the flesh, he said if he knew, if he was a prophet at all, he would know what kind of woman is washing. Remember, woman this morning represents you as a church. He, he would surely have known what kind of woman this is that's washing his feet. And then he says this. I can't go into the whole thing. It doesn't allow me. But hear this. He who is forgiven much loves He who is forgiven much loves much. Lord, is it possible that you can love me that much? You know what I've done. You know where I've been. You know, this morning I want you to dust the accuser off your shoulders for once and for all. And stop looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, Yo, I don't know, I don't know. Can Jesus love me this much? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Without Him, I can do nothing. Without Him, I surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting. Like a ship without a sail. Oh, Jesus, my Jesus, do you know him today? Please don't turn him away, Jesus, my Jesus.
Without Him, how lost I would be. You've been battling for years with certain things in your life, and every now and then that uncertainty shows up and causes condemnation to flow through your life and it's affecting your relationship with the bridegroom this morning in a state of worship come to the cross recenter come to your first love because nothing has changed he loves you as much today as he did then and will forever love you Stop allowing a fallen foe, one who has no more right to accuse, one who has no covenant because you're part of a New Testament, you're an heir and you're a new creation. If you want to, you can stand. If you want to, you can just raise your hand. If you want to, you can just sit there but I know God is speaking to people today. I can walk around this room and touch people and say, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship is not a song. It's a condition of the heart. It's in love with Christ. All over the building, Father, thank you that you're touching people's lives this morning. Thank you, we prayed before the service. Many people prayed before the service. They didn't know what I was going to preach and I didn't even really know what I was going to preach but now I understand their prayers that no one will leave here the same this morning but you go out of this building know that the prison doors have swung open and you are free free indeed free at last and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus a fresh take on your salvation, a fresh take on first loving. Thank you, God, you've never stopped loving me. You never will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't want to pick on anybody I really just don't want to say anything to anyone, but I've got to do this. Kamalina, this morning, God is dealing with you and he's saying to you, my daughter, nothing can separate you from me. What God's doing right now is he's walking right into the very center of your life. And he's taking hold of a thing that would want to haunt you and keep you under. And he's saying, 
you're my daughter. And you'll never stop being my daughter. I don't know how to word this, but he's, he's taking care of something. He's removing something like a bee sting, like a, like a thorn in your flesh. He's taking it by the grace of God this morning and he's ripping it out under the anesthetic and the love of the Holy Ghost. And he's sewing it up and not even the scar will remain. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Won't you stand with me as we close? Lisa, it's done. It's finished. It's complete. God's done it a long time ago. It's finished. The accusation is taken care of. Do you know how complete it is? The Bible says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You know what that is? That's perjury in a court under an oath. You're standing in a court of law and they say to you, Do you swear to tell the whole truth? What is it? Nothing else but the whole truth. So I hope you go and say, yes, I swear. Jesus cannot perjure himself when he says, you are forgiven and I cannot remember your sins. I have thrown them in the depths of the ocean and I can think of them no more. If Jesus can remember them, then he's committing perjury. So enable Jesus to be able to say, I cannot remember your sins. He had to take them and nail it to the cross in the old Adam and get rid of them and bury them. So when Jesus says, I cannot remember your sins, he truly cannot remember your sins. He's not committing perjury because otherwise he would be guilty. It's taken care of. May it go like a bomb. May it go like a rocket into your whole life this morning and stop affecting you. And bringing you into a guilty complex and saying, I don't know whether I can stand before the very throne of God because I am so impure and he is so pure. No, he has washed you in the blood. And you can stand in a court of law and say, I don't remember that man and you're not committing perjury. You are a new creation. May God bless you this morning as you go. And may you know this morning that his love will never fail you. And may first love inhabit this church like never before in all of our worship and all of our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.